friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Dr. Jack. And today's topic is making sense of a psychology journal article. So this is directed toward students maybe at the high school or undergrad level who may be writing a research paper for the first time or asked to read and understand a piece of scientific uh, literature in the field of psychology. Okay, so I'm going to walk you through some examples and break down what a typical psychological scientific journal article looks like and what the different parts are. And also, if and I'm, I'm including the links to these articles, so they're publicly available. And so if even you're just a, a casual listener and never taken a psychology class before, this might be useful for you to see how to reinforce the idea that psychology is a science that uses the scientific method to understand human behavior and the mind and so forth. This, I think, might give you a, a little bit more of an in-depth view because let's say you're interested in self-help, self-improvement. You read a lot of psychology today or other kinds of uh, articles. And I, I want to make the point first that very few of us, unless you're a researcher or a student studying research or an educator, do you ever read the first-hand information that is the original scientific journal article? Most of the time, we are exposed to second-hand information, which is a summary, someone else's summary or simplification or paraphrasing of original scientific research because the original journal articles are actually meant for fellow scientists to read to it's their contribution to the field that they're in the specific field of psychology that they're in either adding to or filling in the gaps of the knowledge base okay and so you're going to see the same format pretty much in every journal article that you're going to see in the field of psychology. And that is because it's a very systematic way, a scientific way, objective way of finding out and finding answers for the question they have. Okay. Now, depending on how deep I go, this can go on. You know, you can really teach a whole lecture on psychological research and science and methodology. There are courses like that, of course. But I'm going to give you a broad overview so that even beginners can maybe get a good understanding of that. So, a newspaper article, a, a television episode of the news, um, or even a psychology textbook. These are all secondhand pieces of information that summarize and make sense, trying to make sense of and relay the information in a more simplified way to the reader. Okay, So, I'm going to sort of take you into all of those levels and what makes up a journal article, okay? All right, so I'm going to start with some headlines from the American Psychological Association website. And also they produce, a, I'm a member, so I get a magazine once a month that has a little section called Research Briefs, okay? Where, again, this is secondhand, right? These are not the original articles. But what's nice is that they provide links to the full original journal article in the form of a PDF that you can download and then you can read and analyze at your own time. 
And you'll be surprised at how much detail is included in an actual journal article. All right, so I'm gonna just walk you through some of these article titles. Now, what you'll notice, what you're gonna notice, is that the titles usually in a magazine, for example, like Psychology Today, or even in this professional magazine, the American Psych Association APA um, magazine, the titles are reinterpreted and simplified, okay? I'll give you a quick example. The first one here is uh, the title of the article, Children Think of Others in a Culturally Biased Way or in Culturally Biased Ways from a Young Age, okay? That's the title of this little segment. And then they have a short summary of it according to a study published in a particular journal, okay? And then there's a link. And here's the actual scientific journal article title. How race and gender shape the development of social prototypes in the United States. And then it lists the various authors and the publication date of December 23rd, 2021. Okay, so you see how different that is? And, and <clears throat> you can see the, the challenge of communicating the knowledge of psychology, and this is what all of us psychology educators struggle with or find it challenging, is how do we take something so technical and break it down into language that can be understood by a layperson, right? Every intro to psych student, you have to think of them as a layperson, right? They're brand new to the field of psychology. They may have, I mean, obviously a first-year psych student, a college student will have a knowledge base in terms of reading skills and comprehension skills and maybe some science background, but that's going to vary, right, depending on their own past education. All right, so I'm not going to dive into that particular article, but just to give you a sense of what these studies are talking about. A midlife crisis for relationship satisfaction with a question mark, okay? That's from the Psychological Bulletin Journal, and the actual title of that article is Development of Relationship Satisfaction Across the Lifespan, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Okay, and so <laughs> you can see this big, there's a big leap, right, from the original scientific article, which is, again, meant for fellow specialists in the field or graduate students or researchers, uh, and then the actual article that's made for, this is even for professionals, but in psychology today, you might find similar sort of titles that are reinterpreted from the original title. Here's another one. Socially prescribed perfectionism predicts next day binge eating, right? So even that would be a complex title for an everyday person not in the field of psychology to understand. What does that mean? What do they mean by predict, right? There's a reason for using certain code words like that. And the actual article is actually very similar. Socially prescribed perfectionism predicts Next day, binge eating behaviors over 20 days. All right, I'll just give you one more example, then I'll move on. People enjoy thinking for pleasure about as much as playing video games, but for different reasons. Hey, that's kind of interesting, right? And then um, <laughs> the, the journal article is a trade-off model of intentional thinking for pleasure. And then a whole list of, um, of uh, authors. Okay, I lied. Let me give you one more example before I give you a deeper dive into one specific article. Uh, this title is, Those Under Pressure Are More Likely to Cheat, But a Values Intervention Can Help Them Help Keep Them Honest. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And this actually talks about the work environment. And maybe it applies to students too. I'm going to have a speaker who actually is um, has done a lot of research and written a book about plagiarism and cheating in the college level. All right, so I'll talk about that later. Okay, the actual article title is Counteracting the Effects of Performance Pressure on Cheating, a Self-Affirmation Approach. Okay, all right. Now, in the APA uh, website, and also in the magazine that I get, uh, again, once a month or so, one particular article stood out for me that I want to talk a little bit more in depth. All right, so let me take a look at the article title here. All right, so the article title, again, this is not the original article. This is the summary article in their, I guess, blog in the APA uh, website. And this was posted on December 13th. Again, I'll put the link in the description. So the title is Computer Smartphone-Based Treatments Effective at Reducing Symptoms of Depression. Now, you know it's human nature for us to really just glance at article titles, right? News titles, that kind of thing, and not really go that in-depth. And even if we were to read this summary, we might, depending on how it's written, depending on the quality of it, and depending on the competency of the journalist, right, then you may get a certain impression uh, of what the title is saying. But oftentimes we are misled because when you look at the original article, they may not draw the same exact conclusion or maybe they don't say it as confidently. Right? Maybe there's a trend toward this direction, but someone reads it, looks at the summary and says, okay, I'm going to put a title to this. It's got to grab attention and say, hey, look, the computer-based treatments are effective at reducing symptoms of depression. Now, I think this one is actually fair, written very fairly, that is, accurately. That is, it doesn't try to exaggerate the actual results of the study. Right? And so I think um, a casual reader is not going to glance at this headline and assume something that the original article did not assume. And so I think this is a, a very good one. I think an interesting one, a timely one to talk about today. So not only are we going to talk about uh, the structure and formatting of a journal article, but we can also learn a little bit about what this particular article has to say about uh, digital, uh, digital counseling or therapy whether it works, because we're in the pandemic, right? There's more of it available, telehealth, telemedicine. Okay, so I have the original article in front of me, and the title is Digital Interventions for Treatment of Depression, a Meta-Analytic Review. Now, what are you going to notice here? And again, if you're a beginning student and you're opening up, you know, looking at your first journal article, pay attention to the title, and maybe for those who are writing their first thesis, the title should include certain things. They may not include the actual results of what you found, okay? It's kind of like giving away the results. Um, uh, what do you say? 
with with the movie, you know, giving away the the the, the ending in a, in a sense, right? A spoiler. Okay, so sometimes they don't want to add the spoiler in the title, but you want to, in a sense, put the research question in the title. What are the variables? What are the things that are being focused upon and measured in this study? You put that in the title. Okay, so you'll rarely see is sort of a cutesy title where. It's like, oh, that's very catchy, but what did they study? Okay, and so this was very clear: digital interventions for the treatment of depression. So they're focusing on depression treatment, not other kinds of therapies, and a meta-analytic review. So that should tip you off that a meta-analysis is in this article a technique of summarizing studies that have already been done. So yes, in a sense, this is a piece of research, but this piece of research didn't find their own subjects and give them surveys and tally those results. What they did was they found research that was already completed for this particular subject right, over a period of time, and they specify all this, and to see what the trends are. Okay, But first of all, we have to understand what these terms are, right? These variables, they have to be defined and those are called operational definitions and I'm going into lecture mode, but you can you can learn more about that in some of my research-related lectures and podcasts early on uh, in my uh, library here. Okay, so the first thing you're going to notice after the title is a bunch of authors, right? So the first name you see is the lead author and everyone else are usually supporting cast and, and sometimes the lead author may be a graduate student and then the the actual supervising professor or researcher is named uh, later on in the list. Okay, uh, but in this one we have one, two, three, four, seven researchers. So what that could mean is that some people were more responsible for certain sections than the others. Others are part of a committee that review. Others were more involved in the actual research and writing of certain sections. So it just depends on how. The lead researcher divides up the responsibilities. All right, so the next part is usually what you see online. When, when you see, let's say, on Twitter, somebody wrote an article about something and there's a link to the original article, but oftentimes it's behind a paywall, right? And so only researchers or, let's say, members of APA um, who have a certain status can access this database. Or maybe you go to a university and... Um, you're a college student or, or a professor or a public library sometimes will have databases where there, from there, you can find this actual article. So this is the unfortunate part of science is that oftentimes, you know, and this is very traditional, right, that the scientific study ends up in a journal, right, that's bound, and they, they may be put out quarterly, they have an issue number, volume number, and it's very thick and sometimes hardbound. And in the old days of doing research where we couldn't search it online, um, we'd actually go to the library, find the listing, track it down, make a photocopy, you know, <laughs> staple it, and add it to our list of research articles that we need for our own paper. And so this is kind of the end result of that. And it, it's unfortunate that we still have this model that this is not this kind of research is not available for just the general public. Whether or not the general public can read and understand it, that's one thing, but it's just not available. This one happens to be, luckily, so that's why I was able to link it, so you can see for yourself. 
if you want to look at it as I'm walking through it, that's fine too. But if you don't have it in front of you, that's fine. It's not that important for you to actually see what I'm seeing while I'm talking. All right, so this first block that you're going to find in any journal article is called the abstract. And this is the summary from beginning to end of this entire 38-page um, article, okay, this journal article. We'll call it a study. And so let me give you some examples of what's included here. I have some highlights. They looked at 83 papers, 83 studies, and it says N equals 15,530. What that means is that uh, included in all those 83 journal articles that they looked at regarding this issue, the participants, the volunteers in those studies totaled about 15,500 participants. Okay, And there's some other high-level statistics describing the population. I'm not going to go into that. There's no way for me to describe everything here. And then you'll see some general results in the abstract. So oftentimes, if an abstract is well-written and you are within that field of study, okay, it's something that you generally understand, you should be able to get a good sense of what this study was about, how they conducted it, and what they found, and whether what they found was significant or not, okay? And in one of my early episodes, and, and early on in the psychology course, you'll learn about the phrase statistical significance. And what that means is that when someone runs a study to find something, to find out if something works or doesn't work, or if there's a pattern or not pa no pattern, that kind of thing. Like in this example, you know, does online therapy work versus face-to-face, -face, you know, comparing apples and oranges kind of thing. Then how do we know that the difference was real? Well, that's where the statistics come into play. So even without understanding the actual mathematical formulas, the language usually found, usually used, is the term statistical significance. We found a significant difference, okay? And in this case, they say, and I'm going to do a spoiler here in terms of the results, we found no significant difference in outcomes. That means the results between smartphone-based apps and computer internet-based interventions. In other words, there are different kinds of digital interventions, those on smartphones, those on a computer, right, those on the web. So there weren't many differences between them, right, in terms of how effective they are, and no significant difference between human-guided digital interventions and face-to-face -face therapy for depression. So that right there is fairly well-written and clear and understandable, I think, even for a layperson, okay? That they made these comparisons of, about these different types of interventions for depression, and they didn't see a big difference. So the key word is significant. That's where your psychological uh, education comes into play, right? You need to understand what that word means. That means there's no statistical difference, of course, they're not exactly, right? They're the numbers they use are not going to be exact. They're not equal. But in other words, they're, they're really about the same, roughly the same, okay, in everyday language. So the findings from the current meta-analyses provide evidence for the efficacy and effectiveness of digital interventions for the treatment of depression for a variety of populations. Now, we cannot end there because in a well-written research study, they will always 
list the limitations. In other words, yes, this is the trend and the pattern that we found and was statistically significant, but you're almost always going to see however, <laughs> you know, and, and it doesn't negate the results, but it's something to keep in mind, okay? Um, so it says, however, reported effect size, now this gets a little technical, so just bear with me, may be exaggerated because of publication bias, compliance with digital interventions outside of highly controlled settings remain a significant challenge. Okay, so so there are some contexts, there's situations where how they measure the study or how these studies are conducted and might make a difference in these kinds of comparisons, okay? And so that is something that a researcher needs to be transparent about. Oftentimes, a researcher knows going in, before they even start, what this uh, limitation area is, just by the choice of their methodology, whether they use an experiment or a survey, whether they're using a face-to-face -face interview versus a phone interview versus an online survey. They already know that whichever technique they choose to make their measurements, there's going to be some limitation because there's no perfect measurement tool out there. Every measurement tool we have out there in psychological science comes with a set of limitations, a set of advantages, but as well as a set of limitations, okay? So as a psychology uh, student or a psychology fan, <laughs> right, someone who is trying to learn more about the field of psychology, you can see how the level of scientific, scientific rigor is involved here, okay? All right, so let's take a breather. Let me refill my tea take a short sponsor ad break. And when we come back, I'm going to walk you through the different sections of this article that pretty much represent the same kind of structure in nearly all psychological research that you're going to find out there. Okay? And so you can see how, where, where the scientific method comes into play. Okay? Which makes sense for all psychologists. We know that psychology is science, but there's still many people out there who do not understand the depth the depth in which psychology is a science and uses these tools and how complex the research can be. All right, I'll be right back. Our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, friends, maintaining our mental health is not easy. And the good news is that therapy does work. And what is therapy? It's really whatever you choose it to be. It can help you with your motivation. Maybe you're feeling stuck and you need some extra tools to help get you unstuck. Maybe you're feeling insecure in a relationship or having issues at work or just dealing with daily stress. So whatever it is you need, it's important to overcome that sense of shame about getting help because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, or live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So, join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time 
to invest in yourself and your mental health. So I have a special offer for Psychology Concepts Explained listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash psych explained. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash psych explained. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Okay, welcome back. So let's take a look at the different parts that make up an article. All right, so the first part you're going to see is what's called a literature review, or you can call it an introduction. And the literature review should resemble an upside-down triangle. In other words, you start off really general, talk about what kinds of things this research is going to be about, and essentially, uh, and, and this article does a good job of this, the first sentence starts with the word depression. Okay? Depression is one of the leading causes of disability worldwide, estimated to affect more than 300 million, blah, 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 okay? and, and statistics in a reference from the WHO from 2017. That's pretty much as broad as you can get, right? An upside-down triangle, right? An upside-down pyramid. You start broad, and then you're narrowed down to uh, your research question. Okay. That's what a literature review is. You're reviewing the literature in the area that your research is focused on. Okay. Now, this is very timely because it also adds that because of the pandemic, there's early evidence that um, there's a parallel mental health curve developing, that incidence of mental health conditions, including depression, is rising significantly. And they provide about three or four studies to, to back that up. Okay, And... <clears throat> And this is for the writers out there. I think oftentimes what's intimidating about writing a research paper is you feel like they're not paraphrasable. That is, how, how do I rewrite this in a way that where I'm not plagiarizing a paper? You have 50 sources. You're trying to summarize and write a literature review and, and I can make a separate episode about this, perhaps, if, if you all want, about how do I really summarize scientific research. And there's a key here. Let me just give you one clue. Is that you want to write from your voice. You create the narrative. You tell the story. But so, along with that story is evidence, and you provide the references for that evidence. So here they're telling a story of how de what depression is, how important it is, especially in this time of the pandemic. It's getting worse, right? So they're telling this narrative, and they're supporting it with research that's out there already. And then the next step is they're defining this phrase, this variable they use in the title. What are digital interventions? Then they go through citing from the early days, from the 1980s, the first versions of digital interventions were little more than therapeutic manuals delivered on the computers. So they start with a lot of detail, a lot of background for this thing that they're measuring, they're studying. Okay, And they talked about some potential advantages of digital interventions, that it lowers the barrier for access, and I think that's true, right? Sometimes you're so depressed and tired, you're not going to want to physically take transportation to someone's office, wait in that office for your appointment time, 
you know, that requires you to get dressed and have a certain amount of energy to get from point A to point B. And it's a lot easier just to go to your uh, bedroom and get on a computer or get on a smartphone, right, to to access that uh, mental health care. Okay, so it talks about a, a review of the literature, research that's out there that talks about the efficacy of digital interventions, right? What are the, what is the past research that studied this area of how online uh, therapy and how effective they are, okay? So they provide a lot of tables, go into a lot of detail about that, okay? Um, what are the factors that influence the outcomes of digital interventions? What are some important things that uh, make someone successful at online therapy versus those that are, what, what are some variables that stand out, okay? So they go through some of these, and one of them happens to be human support, because there are some uh, tools out there that might be more or less self-help, I mean, automated, um, like an online program that you click through and read, and then there are others that involve a real human providing you counseling. And so uh, the role of human support, human guidance, plays a big part, according to the past research. So we're still in the introductory section of this uh, article. We're only on page 8, okay? And then we move into the actual research question. Yeah, they, they still look at a lot of um, um, very specific areas of previous research, and then they talk about their goals, right? What is the purpose of this paper, right? So now we're getting more and more narrow from the quad. What my old advisor used to tell me when we were learning in grad school is you start with the quadrant of the universe that you're in, and for this paper is about depression and online therapy, and then you keep talking about the studies that were done. And then you talk about, well, what is the point of your study? What is the point of your piece of research here? And so it says here in this, in this segment title, the aims of the current systematic review and meta-analysis. What are their goals? Right. So it says here, the current meta-analysis will systematically review, or in past tense, systematically reviews two decades of research. So now we have a timeline, right? We have a sort of a parentheses of, from when to when, okay? providing the largest and most comprehensive meta-analysis of digital interventions for the treatment of depression conducted to date, right? that they know of. And now they list the research questions. We aim to answer the following questions. Okay? So I'll just give you a couple of examples. One of them was, and then they have about four or five very specific questions that they're going to look at in the data. Remember, this is archival research, right? They're, they're looking at existing studies. They're not conducting a brand new piece of research with human subjects. They're doing a meta-analysis of existing research. So what their main question is, are digital interventions effective in reducing depressive symptoms, right? That's pretty much what they're looking at. Uh, that's reflected in the study title. What is the role of human guidance in influencing outcomes, right? So they're going to dig into the data to compare techniques that have unguided interventions versus those have some sort of therapeutic guidance by a person, right? And are digital interventions effective beyond the lab in routine care settings? So that does the setting matter? All right, then the next section, the next big section in the paper is the method. Think of this as the research techniques that are going to be used. They're a strategy. So they go through this. So I'll give you just a real quick peek here. So it says here that their search strategy at the beginning of this section says that we identified studies in a three-step procedure, right? Um, 
we search for certain types of control trials in these three databases, Medline, PsychInfo, Embase, for relevant articles. Okay, They started the search on September 2019 and then concluded in October 2020. Right? And, uh, and they tried to ensure that the current review included the latest evidence base. So with this kind, you know, one of the things about researching an area that depends on technology, as this one does, is that, you know, the moment you stop with, okay, we're re reviewing from this year to this year, then then during the time that you're writing, it could be months, certain things may have changed. There may be new studies that come out. There probably will be, right? So they try to keep that into account. And so they, they talk about how things are measured. What are the depression measurements? Um, different, you know, how are they actually done in each of these studies, okay? What kinds of uh, participants were there. They actually coded the age, gender, target population, right? All Lots of detail in terms of, and the procedures for coding different pieces of information, right? Because you have to take existing studies, rank them in some way, right? And, and therefore compile new statistics, generalized statistics about those 85 studies. Uh, the data methods, data synthesis, overview of the meta-analytic meta procedures. Again, this is all inside baseball, right? These are for fellow scientists to look at, to review, or even to replicate if they want to do this five years later or maybe next year. Um, now, the next major section, so we started with the abstract, literature review, methods, right? Now the results. So between the methods and results sections, this is a lot of technical statistics going on, right? a lot of scientific techniques and a lot of detail that the casual reader is really not going to understand or even maybe even want to read. It's so technical. Right? You'll start having a headache really soon. So this is really for those who are into the science, who are fellow scientists, and who are maybe those who are reviewing this study as part of a peer review committee to see if they followed correct procedure. Are their calculations, were their calculations accurate? Okay, so the results section is not going to tell you um, the meaning of the numbers. They're just going to report the numbers, okay, and whether they're significant or not. And then you, they're going to be in form of charts, a lot of statistical results that I won't get into here. I'm scrolling and scrolling, okay, so a lot of numbers, a lot of graphs, some with color, really nice. Okay, and uh, uh, different Greek words, okay, you know. And, and so these are all the statistical models and formulas, okay. Now, to make sense of it, you have to go to the final section. That's called the discussion, right? Okay, so the discussion section is where the authors of the study will take all the numbers that look like they don't make sense at all into a coherent summary in as clear and understandable language as possible okay so this is what we found and this and whether or not it's meaningful or important okay so they will include some phrases of statistics but it you're not going to see as many numbers here and also in the discussion is that well where do our results of this study fit into the larger literature from section one in the beginning, 
Where does it fit in? Um, does it provide a contribution? Does it support what other researchers have found over the years? Or does it veer off in a different direction? Are the results surprising or not surprising? Okay, so that's pretty much it. And then again, there's a last section here about limitations. Okay, so after they report the good news, okay, whether they found something was significant or not, then they write about, oh, by the way, here are some things to keep in mind that maybe doesn't make our study perfect. And then they finish with future directions. Where do we go from here? And oftentimes the future direction, because a researcher wants to build a library um, of their own studies, okay, to, to create a sense, a mark that, oh, Jack Chuang, the researcher, really provided a contribution to this field and look at the 10 studies he did from this year to that year. And if you look at those studies, if they're in the same area, and they generally are for a researcher, they will look at the this section called the future directions, right? Guide to future research, because every study will create new questions. So whether it's, okay, let's do this, let's replicate it this year. Let's ask, ask the exact same survey year after year, right? There are studies like that, right? So that person can continue to add to their own literature base of their own research, their own publications, rather. And in this case, they write about um, taking into account their limit, again, not diving too deep into this, is that uh, even though we found this, because of these limitations in either the research or past research or what we found, these are things that future research should focus on. Okay. Uh, or these are new questions that were generated from this piece of research. Okay. Now, at the very, very end, you're going to see pages and pages of references. So from the citations within the text, you will always find the full reference at the end of an article. And let me break down really quickly what that looks like, okay? Um, in terms of uh, an APA-style reference, the American Psych Association-style reference. First, it starts with the, the authors. Then it has the publication year, the title of the article, followed by the name of the journal, the volume and issue number of the journal, and page numbers if certain, um, usually it'll include page numbers because a journal will include maybe 10 articles or so. And then, you know, so it gives you a very specific place to find. And this is new because I did research many, many years ago. So we didn't have this, but now you have web links to the actual article. Now, whether you can get it or not, that's another matter, but they include a link to the full article. Now, what's also interesting here, I looked at the very, um, end here, they also included links to the data, right? So this reminds me of open source applications. And an open source application means that, uh, let's say you're playing a game or, or maybe it's a, a messaging app, right? And you're heavy in, you're, you're, you're a software engineer and you're heavy into privacy. So this open source messaging app that's supposed to be very private, the code is available for anyone to download, to modify, to copy, or to, to test to see if it indeed, does it have any bugs in it, right? Does it have any security holes? And so psychological studies are like that. So the data that was collected um, from this study can be downloaded by someone who wants to dig deeper into the study to find holes in it. 
and to verify whether or not uh, the calculations were correct. Okay. All right. So I think that was an, a walkthrough. Hopefully this wasn't too boring for you, <laughs> but I think uh, I'm thinking this might be helpful for those who are studying psychology, who are a bit intimidated by these journal articles, but you do have an affinity, you know, this, this interest and curiosity for research and, and, Researchers really are a special breed of people, I have to admit, because um, anyone with a master's or a doctorate degree in psychology has either written this kind of research paper before, they call it a thesis or a dissertation, or sometimes just a, you know, a project paper for a course where you have all these different sections. And also, we were research assistants, so we helped collect data and do the statistics. You really have to, you gain a lot of appreciation for the science of it, and the frustration as an educator that most of the general public has no idea how psychological research is conducted or have this mistaken idea that psychology is not a science because, you know, it's just about stuff they talk about on Oprah and Dr. Phil and these other talk shows. So, you know, this is not really scientific. It's all about feelings, right? So how scientific is that? How is that science? Well, here you see an example of that. Uh, of how scientific research is conducted. Okay, folks, I think that's it for today. I will see you again in the next episode. Be sure to look in the description for ways to contact me and very simple ways of providing support for the podcast, which are subscribing, following, rating, reviewing, depending on the app you're using, okay? And... Uh, and then ways of support are sharing or being a monthly donor, right? Be a monthly supporter. A donor sounds like you're giving me your kidney. Okay, don't give me your kidney. But uh, unless I need it. But, you know, just buy me a coffee. Okay? All of these podcasts take time and effort. And so whichever podcast and YouTube channel you enjoy, and if you can afford it, try to support these especially independent creators like myself. All right, have a great day. Talk to you next time.